I invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Jude, the epistle of Jude. And we will be reading verses 17. We'll be reading up to verse 21 this morning. Jude, beginning at verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, And praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Well, Jude had been discussing at length the dangerously troubling presence of the false apostate teachers in the church. He spoke of how they operate secretly and insidiously within the church, of how they abuse the grace of God, distorting it to accommodate a lifestyle of ungodliness. They turn the grace of God, Jude says, into lasciviousness. They turn the grace of God into an occasion for sin. And it is against this background that Jude appeals to his readers, believers in Christ, to contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Having given a full-length description of these people and having described the doom, the divine judgment that awaits them, Jude, we find here in verses 17 to 23, shows how as Christians we can mount a defense against such attack on the faith. As Christians, you and I today can defend ourselves, protect ourselves from those who would lead us astray into heresy and ungodliness. We have in this passage, in fact, going up to verse 23, at least three defensive strategies that Jude provides for his readers, and by extension, he provides for you and me as Christians in our time. First of all, According to the Apostle Jude, in order to withstand apostasy and apostate influences, we do so by remembering the apostolic warnings. The way we withstand apostasy, the way we withstand the tendency toward spiritual declension, toward spiritual defection, is to remember the apostolic warnings. We could say, in other words, remember the word of God. We see that in verses 17 through 19. Just as the Old Testament prophets in their day warned the people of God regarding false prophets, as in Deuteronomy chapter 13, 2 to 5, Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 14, so the apostles of Christ predicted that there would be scoffing and self selfishly driven apostates who would plague the church of Christ. We find such forewarnings, for example, in 
Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30, there in his parting address to the Ephesian elders, as Paul took his leave of them, Paul urged them to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock of God, saying, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. May I suggest to you, we are very much in this day. Such forewarning we find in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, where Paul warned Timothy. Paul warned young Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus. He says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars, whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The Apostle Peter similarly sounded a note of alarm, a note of urgency, when he wrote to his readers in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Here's what Peter said, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. He says there in verse 2, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false Words Again, we are right at that very point in our time. So rather than getting us alarmed and taken aback by these conditions, the prevalence of apostate teachers within the church, the Apostle Jude would have us see in their presence in the church an authentication of the apostolic witness, the apostolic warnings, forewarnings we find in the word of God. And even as he warns of these apostate teachers, these apostate influences, Jude points out in verse 19 some of their more prominent characterizations. First of all, he cites the fact that they are depraved. Says Jude, they follow, there in verse 18, the C part, they follow their own ungodly passions. They live only for their physical drives, their materialistic appetites, their fleshly, their sensual is what Jude is saying. They exhibit nothing of true sanctified godliness. Nothing of the grace of temperance, nothing of the grace of self-control, Jude is suggesting here. Then Jude says, secondly, they're divisive. They are divisive. Verse 19a, and grammatically speaking, this verse may be interpreted in one of two ways. The Greek will allow for two, at least two readings, two interpretations. On the one hand, Jude might be saying here, it is these who cause divisions. The other reading is, it is these who separate themselves. Notice Jude's contemptuous regard for these apostate 
professing Christians. Rather than referring to them as they, he refers to them as these. It's a note of contempt. It's as though Jude is saying, listen, they are not even worthy of mentioning. In fact, we saw him characterizing them as such in verse 12, where he said of them, these are hidden reefs at your love feast. Verse 16, these are grumblers, malcontents. It is these who cause divisions, Jude tells his readers. They are the ones who create divisions. They are the ones who separate themselves. If we think of the first reading, these are those who cause divisions. Then the same could be said today of those who purportedly in the name of the gospel and in the cause of what they term social justice, end up doing what? Dividing the church with all kinds of distracting disputes. That they separate themselves suggests that like some today, they make distinctions between themselves and those they regard as what they call fundamentalists. You've heard that term disparagingly. Banded Christians who believe the Bible, Christians who stand on the infallible, inspired word of God, they are fundamentalists. Those they would describe as being narrow. They would rather be identified, they place themselves in the category they describe as progressive. We, they say, are progressive Christians. But of course, we remember what the Apostle Jude says. Jude spoke of progressive Christianity when he said, if anyone goes too far, goes so far, and has not this doctrine, he is Antichrist. That is the spirit of Antichrist. They would rather be identified as progressives. In this way, they separate themselves from evangelical Christianity, biblical Christianity. They are committed to no creed, no dogma, no church order or discipline, which they disparagingly term organized religion. They would rather identify themselves as being spiritual rather than being scriptural. As being relevant to the world rather than being rooted in the word of God. Watch a talk today of the need for relevance to the culture. Let me say, my friends, we don't need to be relevant to the culture. The word of God is always relevant. And it is the word of God that informs, that dictates how culture is to be ordered. And that is why we have today so much skewed ministry, so much skewed evangelism. That is why we have all kinds of problems in the church today. Why? Because persons, people, pastors today are trying to be relevant. Third, Jude identifies these apostates are those, as those who are dominated by the world. Verse 19b. They think... Like the world, they speak like the world, they act like the world. They're at one with the world, such that being of the world, according to 1 John 4 verse 5, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. That's why CNN can call them to represent the church. And then fourthly, according to Jude, they are devoid of the spirit. 
They are devoid of the Spirit, verse 19c, which is ironic given their misguided certainty as to their superior spirituality. What Jude was dealing here, you see, these people evidently, in fact, if you look at the tenor of Jude's writings, Jude was dealing with a group of people known as the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, if you know a little of that background of New Testament history, the Gnostics majored in what they knew. In other words, true spirituality was grounded in a knowledge of the divine. And to get to the divine of pure spirit, one had to have special, intimate, secret knowledge. You see, sensually driven, as evidenced by their continual pursuit of their own ungodly lust, as Jude tell, tells us, they were not truly spiritual. They do not walk by the Spirit, that is, live by his directive, Galatians chapter 5, 16 and 25. Hence, even in the remotest sense of the word, they are nothing of what we might term Christian. Because as Romans chapter 8 verse 9 asserts, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. These people, Jude says, are devoid of the spirit and their lifestyle attests to it. They are sensuous. They are sensually driven. They live for the world. They talk like the world. They live like the world. We have a lot of that in our time. We have in the church today much of what could be termed worldliness, worldly preachers in the church in our time. In fact, Romans chapter 8 verse 14 asserts that it is those who are led by the Spirit of God who are the sons of God. These people instead are led by the flesh. They are led by their appetites. They are driven by worldly ambitions. So devoid of the Spirit, the apostates of Jude's day were sinful rather than spiritual. While they retain some semblance of Christianity, while they retain some semblance, or at least outwardly speaking, of godliness, having a form of godliness, they were strangers to the saving grace of God. And Jude is saying here that one of the ways we withstand apostasy and one of the ways we withstand this tendency towards spiritual defection, towards spiritual decline, is by remembering the scriptures, is by remembering the predictions of the apostles, is by getting back to the word of God and to realize that all that we are seeing here has been declared, has been foretold in the word of God. Let me say this, if we truly understand that, if we take this to heart, we will not be floored by the popular currents of our time. In the second place, according to the Apostle Jude, in order to withstand apostasy, in order to withstand apostate influence, not only must we remember the apostolic predictions, but we are to remain in the love of God. We are to remain in the love of God. Verses 20 and 21. 
And in these verses, Jude spells out precisely how his readers, and by extension, how you and I today can remain in the love of God as a defense against apostasy. Jude is saying one of the ways we protect ourselves, we defend ourselves against spiritual declension, against spiritual apathy, against apostasy, is by keeping ourselves in the love of God. He begins this section of his epistle with these words, but you, beloved, we see that in verse 20a. Back in verse 1, he had previously described his readers as beloved in God the Father. This is what defines Christians. This is what defines every believer in Christ. Believers in Christ are those who are loved by God. And with the word beloved, not only does he express his spiritual affection for them, his spiritual affinity with them, but he acknowledges them as true, genuine believers in Christ. You know, Christians have some wonderful name in the word of God. Beloved. Brethren. Saints. I don't see in the word of God, and I'm not nitpicking, I don't see guys. You know, this tendency today to refer to the congregation as guys. Hey, guys. Brethren. That's what we are. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the beloved of God. Beloved is how Jude addresses his readers. Saints, we are holy ones. As use of the words, but you, Jude sets them in stark contradistinction to false ungodly professors of Christ. Here were the false apostate Christians making trouble, creating divisions. Here, on the other hand, were the true believers in Christ. He says, but you, beloved. But you, it's as though he was saying to them, but you, the real deal. As distinct from the false religious professors, but you, the one who have been savingly loved by God, is what Jude is saying. Jude is about to tell them how they may safeguard themselves from the apostates and by his introductory words, but you, beloved, Jude seems to be conveying to them the fact that as true believers in Christ, they need not fear falling into such terrible state of defection from and denial of the truth. Why? Because they have safeguards. Why? Because of the defenses he's recommending to them, because of those steps they need to take in order to defend themselves against apostasy. They need not fear, provided they engage themselves in the activities he outlines here in verses 20 to 23. Now, as we look at Jude's series of exhortations here in verses 20 to 23, particularly in verses 20 and 21, the thing to note here in these verses is that of the four verbs, notice in verse 21, there's a verb building, praying. There are the verbs keep and waiting. Only one of these verbs, only one, is the leading main verb expressing a command. 
Now, what is the main verb in verses 20 and 21? It's not the verb building. You know, taking up our Bible's reading, we would think Jude is saying, that's the main idea, building yourselves on your most holy faith. But actually, the word building there is not in the imperative mood. It's not stated as a command. It's in the indicative mood, suggesting that that's a state of affairs in which they will be engaged. It's not the verb waiting in verse 21. The main verb and only verb in the imperative mood, that is the mood that connotes a command, is the verb keep. So the single command, the single imperative found in verse 20 is this. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the dominant idea Jude is saying. How are you going to ward off apostasy? How are you going to steer clear of apostate teachers, apostate influences? How are you going to ward off the tendency to spiritual declension? Keep, yourself, keep yourselves in the love of God. The three participial phrases in verses 20 and 21, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, express then these three verbs, these three participles, express the means by which we are to carry out the command to keep ourselves in the love of God. So in examining verses 20 and 21, we find, we, we first of all have to determine what is meant by our keeping ourselves in the love of God. What do we mean? What does Jude, Jude mean when he says we are to keep ourselves in the love of God? And one could easily misunderstand the command, keep yourselves in the love of God, as being at odds with what Scripture clearly affirms as the doctrine of the eternally secured salvation of the believer in Christ. What Jude says here, when he says, keep yourselves on the, in the love of God, on the surface it seems as though Jude would be advocating a salvation by works, as though Jude is suggesting, look, the way you are going to make it is by, listen, keeping yourselves right there smack dab in the middle of the love of God. Also, one could easily mistake the command, keep yourselves in the love of God, as suggesting that we have to work at keeping ourselves saved by, look, by loving God. By loving God. But let me say here, but in no way is Jude suggesting that. Jude is not going contrary to the tenor of the gospel, the gospel of salvation by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. He's not advocating a salvation of works, a salvation by keeping ourselves saved, a salvation by keeping ourselves in a state of loving God. Listen, we can't do that. If you and I were to be saved, if, we're, if, we, if God had it that we were to be saved by our keep on loving him, we would have lost salvation ages ago. In fact, even this morning, some of us would have lost it. So having ruled out that, that idea, what is Jude talking about when he says to the, to the brethren, keep yourselves in the love of God? The idea here, beloved, is not so much that we are to keep ourselves in a state of loving God as it is we are to remain in the sphere 
of God's love for us. The love of God here is not so much our love for God, even though that might be involved. It is essentially God's love for us. Judith said here, you want to avoid this tendency towards falling away from the faith. You want to avoid this tendency towards spiritual declension, toward this tendency of being swept away by apostate teachers. Listen, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the sphere of God's love. In this regard, it's Jude saying that it's possible for us to get outside the sphere of God's love, outside the realm of God's love, to that place where God doesn't love us. Until we get back, of course, into that love. Is that what Jude is saying? No, no, no. Some people, some Christians, actually believe that. Their salvation, is, it seems, is all a case of and somebody says, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Listen, remember what we said last week, going back to verse 3, going back to verse 1. How are the Christians described? How are the truly saved described? They are described as beloved in God. If you remember what we said last week, the verb there is in the perfect tense, which suggests what? It's a past act on God's part. And although it's a part, past act on God's part, it continues to be an abiding reality. We are ever being loved by God. John chapter 13, having loved his own, he loved them to the very end, the Apostle John says. In fact, after surveying various hypothetical situations as vying to separate the believer in Christ from the love of God, the Apostle Paul, you remember in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, here's what he says, I am sure, he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's what makes our salvation eternally secure. That, what, that's what make, makes our salvation so rich. We don't have to be wondering whether God loves us. I, I sinned this morning, somebody says, does God still love me? Oh yes, he does. He does. And this has to be the case given the fact that our position in God's love is eternal. It is eternal. So the question is, what happens when the believer wanders from the Lord, when the believer strays from the Lord, when the believer backslides? Yes, when the believer falls even into grievous sin, will he or she continue to be loved by God? Yes. Yes. But let me say this, the word of God teaches that he or she, the believer in Christ who is erring, the believer who, in Christ who is straying, the believer in Christ who is there in sin will come to experience the displeasure of God. 
The judgment of God through the pain of chastisement. That's what the Word of God teaches. That without that chastisement, if one, as we said time and again, as we have seen in the Word of God, if one professes to be saved, is living in sin, and has not been chastised by God, has not come under the rod, the disciplining rod of God, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, that's a clear indication that that person is not a Christian. Living for 20 years professedly as a Christian in sin. And yet no sign of dis-ease in that condition. No sign of divine or experience of divine chastening. Here's what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 8. For if you are without chastisement of which all God's children are partakers, then you are illegitimate and not true sons. That's the love. You know, interestingly, that's really an expression of God's love. It is the fact that he disciplines us when we sin. The love of which in which he seeks to reconcile his erring child, that chastising love of his. The absence of which, as we said, indicates that one is not a child of God, that love of his that disciplines us so that we might not be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians 11.32 And so the command, keep yourselves in the love of God, seems more related, as we said, to our keeping ourselves in the sphere of his fellowship, in the sphere of his the question is, in practical terms, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? And before we look at specific ways Jude lays out in verses 20 and 21, let's make some general observations from the wider context of Scripture as to how we keep ourselves in the love of God. In fact, our Lord Jesus tells us how to keep ourselves in the love of God. And according to our Lord Jesus in John chapter 15 and verse 10, we keep ourselves in the love of God by obeying his word. Listen to our Lord Jesus here in John 15 verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And notice follow-up statement in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. When we are abiding in God's love, then there is this sense of fellowship with God. We experience, we know the reality of the joy of the Lord. When we are not in fellowship with God, when we're not walking in the love of God, keeping ourselves in the love of God, then we come under God's displeasure. Why? Because it means we're walking contrary to his word. We keep ourselves in the love of God, secondly, by keeping alive in our memory his exceedingly gracious, sacrificial redemption of us. His sacrificial redeeming love for us. 
That's how we keep ourselves in the love of God, when we recall what he did for us in our salvation. And beloved, this will turn us, this will, this will in turn make us want to love and obey him. As 1 John 4, 19 tells us, we love because he first loved us. Think of how he loved us. He loved us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. In this regard, he shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the more we think of God's redeeming love for us, the more we think of what he saved us from, the more we think of how he saved us, wretched as we were, it is the more we'll be able to keep alive in our hearts the memory of his love for us. Thereby, we keep ourselves in the love of God. And what great stimulus, what great incentive this provides for Christian living. Listen to, for example, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says there, the life I live in the flesh, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Here it comes, who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul saying here? His awareness of the great love of God provided the stimulus, the incentive, the motivation for living for God. That's why he writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, he says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. Paul is saying here this, that when we understand something of the redeeming love and grace of God for us, we come to realize how much we owe him. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And what this says to us, beloved, is this, that to the extent that we are focusing on the love of God, in the, to the extent that we are keeping ourselves in the sphere of God's love, in the realm of God's love for us, in the de- enjoyment, the delight of his love, in the sphere of fellowship and friendship with him, It is to that extent that we are going to be able to ward off the tendency to drifting into apostasy. Now, with regard to the command, keep yourselves in the love of God. Remember, as we said, carrying out this command is one of the ways we as Christians will defend ourselves against apostasy. Keep yourselves in the love of God, Jude says. Keep yourselves in the love of God and inherent in this imperative, inherent in this command is the idea of personal and corporate responsibility. Jude is saying here, look, you have a responsibility, believer in Christ, to keep yourself in the love of God. Somebody says again, that's salvation by works. That's smacks of works. But here's the point. Jude is reminding these Christians that they are surrounded by the presence of those who will infect them with ungodly influence, causing them to depart from the Lord. They are in a serious situation. They are in a dire situation. They face the choice of either entering into fellowship with these apostates, these Christ-denying apostates, or staying within the sphere of God's love in fellowship with him. And Jude is saying to his readers that in as much as they are being savingly kept for Christ, verse 1, he's saying to them, listen to the other side, you have to keep yourselves 
in the love of God. It's your responsibility, he's saying. And if you notice what Jude did in verse 6, if you look back at verse 6, look at verse 6. In Jude, verse 6, Jude, in, in order to drive home this importance of believers keeping themselves in the love of God, in verse 6, Jude pointed to his readers the fact that there were those angels who, because they did not keep or stay within their proper dwelling, are now being kept for judgment. So notice, beloved, this emphasis in the word of God. Notice, very, listen to me very carefully. Notice this emphasis in scripture. On, you know, the, uh, this, this idea of, of the responsibility that we have in terms of living out the implications of our salvation. You see, we run into all kinds of problems when we highlight one truth to the near exclusion of the other. It's, you know, people, people go off and, on a tangent and they, they say, listen, divine election, divine election, free grace, free grace, free grace. And that's all good and true. But the Word of God also teaches that we have certain responsibilities. And let me illustrate to you from Scripture. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now listen to verse 10. We have to keep them in balance. Here's what he says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Unto or for the purpose of good works, which God had before ordained that what? We should walk in them. So keep in mind, we are not saved by works. We are saved unto works. We are saved not by works. We are saved unto good works. Let me give you another one. Titus 3 verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy and grace, he saved us with the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly, that being justified by faith, we might be made ears of the grace of God. This is the Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but in more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here it comes, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, we are kept by the power of God. Jude did not stop there. He says this. By faith unto salvation. Here's the point. If one professes to be a Christian, lives carelessly, and does nothing of what the word of God says in terms of living out the implication of their professed salvation, then they are treading on dangerous grounds. Never forget this quote. One man puts it like this. He says, the surest way we know that a man is not elect 
In other words, that a man is not truly saved is by his making election, his pillow, and going to sleep upon his own predestination. The surest way that a man is not elect, the surest sign that a man is not elect, or a woman for that matter, is by his making election his pillow and going to sleep upon his own predestination. Here's the point. Jude is saying, beloved, you're living in perilous times. False teachings are abound. Many are falling by the way. Side, one of the ways you are going to defend yourselves against apostasy. Yes, you are kept by God. You are kept for, Je- by, you're, you're kept for Jesus Christ. Verse 1, verse 20, verses 24 and 25. He is able to keep you from falling. But here's the point. You keep yourselves right there smack dab in the middle of the love of God. It's plain, right? Plain. So what Jude is saying then is that We enhance our ability to keep ourselves in the love of God and ward off falling from the faith to the extent that we are focusing on building up ourselves on our most holy faith. We're going to stop here this morning. But here's the point, beloved. God has given in his word ample provisions, ample instructions, He has given us his spirit. He has given us warnings. And the word of God is saying here, look, you and I can stand strong in these days, not in our strength, not by our ingenuity. We can stand strong in the power and grace of God because of the resources he has given us, the instructions he has given us, the guidelines he has given us. One of those is this, remember the scriptures, remember the apostolic predictions. And then secondly, remain in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. May God bless these truths to our hearts. For his name's sake, amen.